With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome back to the second part of our 2021 season review, the infamous Autosport Podcast two-parter look back at the season just gone. Now, we come back from the summer break, and uh, Alex, you had to write a race report on two laps behind the safety car. Can we just not talk about Belgium at all? I suppose we have to a little bit in terms of the dreaded half points and what it means for the, the title battle. Well, yeah, I think I think the only real takeaway from that race, apart from just seeing the appalling communication that came out from F1 and the FIA about all of that, I, I admit they, they had very, very tough calls to make. You know, it's at a track where a driver died, you know, not very long ago at all in awful circumstances. It was very, very tough conditions um, and, and some really horrible calls had to be made. And I think ultimately, in terms of safety, they, they were made correctly. Just, just the way it was conducted, it was just like, mm, what's going on here? You know, calling it a race when it just wasn't a race. Just didn't didn't sit well with anyone. Um, but yeah, it is actually also crucial in the championship because Max Verstappen, and all credit to him, he delivered in qualifying when Lewis Hamilton, did, Lewis Hamilton didn't. And yeah, okay, yeah, it was raining and everything. But sorry, Lewis should not be being beaten by George Russell. That that Williams second, amazing from him. But yeah, okay, you know they they they, they know the circumstances. They got the timing right, and, and the fact that they you know they had the extra prep lap and gave him all or nothing final lap in Q three. Go for it, brilliant. Nearly got in pole position. Verstappen didn't have that. He still beat him. What was going on there, Lewis? Interesting. Anyway, it becomes crucial because of the washout. Hammond, uh, sorry, Verstappen is essentially gifted five points because of no race there. I think Mercedes, for, for, for months afterwards, were livid about that scenario. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's all I can really summarise on, on Belgium. But as you say, yeah, it wasn't a race sport. We just did a feature of you know, what happened, basically, essentially. And then another one um, uh, analysing Russell's excellent qualifying. 
Yeah, I take it back. Actually, Luke, you wrote the race report, the official race report uh, for this one. So, commiserations. Oh, for the website, yeah. Commiserations. But I think that, no, but we kind of, like, throughout the rolling updates, like, we kind of, because we sort of prep stories, like, for when things are about to happen or something like that. So I think very early on, I had a Belgian GP cancelled, basically washed out, there's no race. Uh, and then like as the sort of delays went on, we sort of updated it bit by bit. And then we got to the, the two lap mark and they pulled them in. And I was like, oh, and I messaged Alex. And I was like, mm, which one of us is writing this? And he was like, you've got the news yeah. story ready. So like, you go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was just like, we were just sat there just thinking, what? It just felt like such a waste of time. But one one thing I like about the only sort of positive I, I took, out, took out of it, and maybe to say, I know in part one, we talked about the, the bad side of social media, but uh, on the good side, like I, I came away from... I think as all F1 fans, observers, everyone involved in the sport did, feeling so sour and so bitter about what had happened at Spa. I actually got a message on the Monday from a fan who made the trip over there, uh, I think with his girlfriend, and he messaged me and he was like, look, he said, um, you, you don't know who I am, but I just want to say that your updates, like in terms of keeping us up to date, like what's going on, when the delays are, blah, 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 really, really helped us. And he said, by the time there was the final, like, okay, there's another rain delay. He was like, we decided just to go home and it was absolutely the right call because there was never any race resumption. So it was just like, just thank you very much. And I was just like, oh, okay, that's that shows how our reporting of even just like, oh, there's another rain delay fans that matters to them like it helps their f1 experiences and yeah unfortunately i know f1 was like oh we're gonna sort out something for the ticket holders which i believe is a uh, an f1 tv subscription and uh, a raffle for a ticket to spa next year so i or tickets I, I don't know the ins and outs of it but it's just a bit like yeah again as alex said to call that a race was very poor form Okay, let's move on. Um, when I was thinking about the home race for Max Zandvoort, first time racing there since '85, um, I simply wrote down Max Masterclass. Um, Alex, so Max uh, leaves his home race in charge of the championship again, and of course the home crowd just something to behold. That seemed like the feel-good moment we needed after the race would come out of. It was. Unfortunately, you're asking the wrong autosport journalist because that was I, that was my one weekend off of the year. I was this there. when we, we, we wheeled out Matt Q for a was, turn? Yeah, did, right. Did an, ex, did an excellent job uh, deputising there as, uh, in, in my place and as a Grand Prix editor. And um, yeah, but so, yeah, I've watched that race spectacularly hungover after my, my two, two best friends. My two best friends got married the day before. Um, but I did watch it. I, um, I watched the start. And as soon as Max Verstappen aced that, I thought, well, that's the race over. And that's basically what happened. Although he did incredibly well. Um, just the amount of pressure he was under to deliver in front of those fans. Absolutely incredible atmosphere, as, as Matt um, 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 told me about. And also referred to in his in his reports on that weekend. And it was just, it was a feel-good factor race. Because, you know, that race wouldn't exist without Max Verstappen. And the Dutch fans massively enjoyed it. There was a whole party atmosphere. Um, Fernando Alonso was like, well, I know Max won the race because I set off a load of orange flares and I can't see where I'm going. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a good moment. But also I just think it was, it's to Verstappen's credit, that he absolutely nailed it. We've, we've spoken about in the first half of the podcast that he did crack on several occasions when the pressure was on in the early part of the year. And in probably the most pressurised moment of the year, apart from the title decider and the, the final few races, at that age with you know knowing you've got an entire nation expecting on your shoulders that's not easy and he nailed it so well done i think the final classification is lewis about 21 seconds behind max but there was a a, a late later pit stop and lewis pitted uh, one more time than max luke w- what are your takeaway memories 
Uh, apart from the championship battle, of course, which puts Max back in charge, but of, of that amazing race. You mentioned the uh, late pit stop. My, my One of my big memories is the fastest lap shenanigans at the end with Mercedes, where they'd uh, pitted Bottas and told him, don't set the fastest lap. So then Valtteri Bottas set the fastest lap. And to to his credit, he did back out massively in the final sector on his lap. So although he set the fastest lap, Hamilton was easily able to smash it um, uh, another another lap later. But it was, uh, yeah, it was just a really like funny moment that we heard the, I believe it was a Valtteri, it's James Cool saying, don't do this. And then he, he did it. So uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a funny one. But no, I mean, just the atmosphere in the Netherlands is crazy. And I... Um, I mean, so I've only been to Sandvoort, I didn't go to that race, I've only been to Sandvoort once in my life, and that was on a, a school trip we did as a part of a, a cricket tour to Holland, and uh, we went to Zandvoort Beach, I think we did some fishing on Zandvoort Beach, and they were like, oh, there's a racetrack near here, and I said, yeah, it's, it's quite small, like, it used to be F1, but it's nothing special, and now I just think, like, it's just crazy how it's just exploded into this huge thing for F1 in the Netherlands because of the Max Verstappen factor because of everything he has done. And um, I know uh, one of our colleagues, um, Erwin Yegi, he put, um, who's from the Netherlands, he put on Facebook after the season, he's like, I never thought I would see uh, an F1 race in my home country. I never thought I would see a Dutch world champion. And it's just incredible how it's come together for that market. So, uh, yeah, I think anything other than a Max victory would have completely torn up the script for that weekend. So it had to be really, but take nothing away from his performance because he was on another level. And in terms of the Bottas dynamic within the team, we'll come to that at the end of the, the podcast. We talk a little bit about team dynamics. This race was September 5th, and I think it was the day after uh, the news became public that he would be changing seats. So at that point, uh, he knows he's not racing for the team anymore. I presume, is that the way it works? Would he, he would have known the day before, right? He would have known it was pre-Spa, I believe it turned out in the end. Both him and George Russell came out of the summer break knowing where they were going to be racing next season and how things were going to go. So, uh, so yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, just to be clear, I mean, that's not impacting the, the fast lap stuff at all. It was literally that the uh, the power of that late pit stop was so strong that Bottas, like even without trying, basically was was going to set the fastest lap even when he backed out. So uh, yeah, but it was, I mean, it definitely the dynamics. Yeah, it was interesting. I think that it was by that point everyone kind of knew where they were going to be landing for next season. I mean, for George Russell, his stock was just going up and up after what he did at Spa as well, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a very interesting part of the season. The driver market, I remember that that sort of the days leading up to Monza, there was so much going on in terms of like the driver movements being confirmed. Um, and we thought, well, let's uh, maybe see how this weekend's race goes to, uh, will it just add some more spice to the week that we've had, the busyness? And boy, oh boy, did it. <laughs> Where things would land is a nice segue onto Monza. Because, of course... Max would land on top of Lewis at this race. I've written frustrations boil over in uh, in my notes for this one. Alex, we'll, we'll start with you on this one. I mean, it's got to be the defining, one of the defining images of the season, right? That picture, that shot. Oh, oh 100%, 100%. But you're right about frustrations boiling over. But the, the frustrations was entirely Max Verstappen's. You know, uh, Lewis Hamilton had messed up at the start of the sprint race. That's what um, gets Daniel Ricciardo ahead of Norris and Hamilton. Um, uh, your Bottas clears off and wins that, that sprint race, but he's got the big engine penalty because there's the key point of the season now we've reached is where the reliability factor comes in. And um, Honda and Red Bull had to take an extra engine in Russia because, you know, they just needed to make sure they had enough parts to not risk a failure, which is a big consideration in the championship. But Mercedes, you know, their internal combustion engine, the new one was, was faster, being run harder, you know, things like that. It was having a big problem and they were getting through them at a real 
full rate of knots at that part of the season. But um, yeah, so Bottas is obviously not a factor in the Grand Prix, but Verstappen also messes up the Grand Prix start and then Red Bull has a very long pit stop. And again, this is another sort of one of those unseen factors, off-track factors in that the clampdown on active pit stop technology, which had come in for the Spa race, had a knock-on effect. You saw particularly at that time of year, there were loads and loads of long pit stops and things going wrong. Um, and Red Bull was one of the teams that was, is thought to have been particularly harmed by that because they invested quite a lot in that, that you know, that really clever pit active technology. Um, but yeah, Verstappen has a long pit stop and he's furious. He loses it on the radio with with his with his engineer with, with GP, and 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 you can just he's 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 furious. And I think that feeds into what happens next, where Lewis Hamilton comes out of the pits, emerges ahead of Max, having been well behind him in the first stint, and Max just doesn't accept it. He's like, right, I'm going alongside, I'm coming in again, and Hamilton stands his ground again. He could go, he could go further wide, but he's like, I don't have to here. And it's the reverse of Imola. Max puts, you know, at a certain point, he has to go over the curbs because Lewis is taking the racing line. As he as he should do, as Max did in Imola, and that's why it goes down as as, as Verstappen's fault there. And it really is nearly a very 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 nasty accident. And again, there's a sort of element of ah, oh, this is why things felt bad this season because obviously Max would have known that his 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 tire went and hit Lewis on the head, but equally his car was on top of the Mercedes and he just walks away. He doesn't he doesn't check on him. He doesn't do anything. I'm not saying he should have to, but it was a little bit like ah. Oh, just a little sort of even a hand up or whatever just check he was okay and you know Max's response is well Lewis was trying to reverse out of there and everything you know I knew he was fine I get that but it just you know little things that could have made things a little bit happier for all involved but you know as as is his want but anyway the other main takeaway of that weekend is obviously the one-two for McLaren and Daniel Ricciardo you know you know a terrible season, first season at McLaren up to that point wins sensationally is his usual charming self running around in the paddock without wearing any shoes you know he obviously had done loads of shoeies out of them on the podium and things like that it was incredible that and just seeing that team's reaction obviously it's a very hard period for McLaren since 2012 it's tremendous reaction in the pit lane and 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 all the celebrations in the paddock it was it was absolutely magnificent so yeah well done to them if I, if I may just pick up on the uh, yeah the McLaren stuff. So I had an interview with uh, Ricardo uh, towards the end of the season, and we sort of looked back on his campaign and everything. And he said how after Hungary he just needed to reset. He needed to get away, and he said he was struggling with so much. Obviously, homesickness. He couldn't go back to Australia. He couldn't even get his parents out of Australia to come and like spend a race weekend with him or anything like that. So there was a lot going on. And he said like he really got to the summer break, being like, oh, I need this. And he said he came back feeling like he was different, like something had changed, like all the weight had lifted off him. And I think we just saw that in full flow at Monza. He was just at his absolute best all weekend long. And I think really, really just performed so, so well on a raw pace. McLaren, yeah, they went into the weekend knowing they would be good. But to come away with a 1-2 and the only 1-2 of the season as well was, yeah, a really incredible result. And uh, obviously we had that famous radio message where he said, uh, yeah, for, for those of you who thought, uh, I've gone away. I've not gone away. I've just stepped aside or whatever it was. And um, I asked him in the interview, I was like, did you have that like in your head pre-planned or something? And he was like, no, no, no. He said it was a thing that him and his trainer had like said to each other in the past, just as a, a joke. And it came to him in that moment. And he said, but it just felt like he needed to say it because he thought people had written him off. And I think, yeah, it'd been such a tricky start to the year that it was a real big statement by Ricardo um, to, to win as he did. Um, but yeah, in terms of the title fight, I mean, it, yeah, just again, just, dumps gasoline onto this fire that was that was raging away between the two of them um, and it was very telling I thought the Red Bull came away from that and they weren't pointing all fingers at Lewis they were like oh, maybe it's a racing incident so it was 
yeah, I thought that was quite telling in terms of they knew really where the, the blame was, uh, resulting in a grid penalty for Verstappen in the next race that became ultimately pointless because of the uh, engine penalties that Alex mentioned. You, you could even, just very quickly, you, you could even sense that in Verstappen's post-race interviews that he, he gave, because obviously he had a chance to go back to the garage. And I'm, sh- I'm sorry, I'm sure he walked. I did that walk all the way down from, from the first corner um, to, to, the, to the pit garage at the Monza. I did it in FP1. It's a very, very long way. I'm sure he was absolutely stewing and furious as he walked down there. And then he probably saw the replay and went, mm, yeah, I think, I think I know what's happened here. And he was, very, he was much more conciliatory, conciliatory afterwards, which is, which is to his credit. You know, he, he, I, I thought he did come across very well or certainly better than, um, than other points in the year. All right. Well, that does, again, segue nicely onto Russia. Three-place grid penalty for Max. But as you say, all, all kind of academic, really, because of uh, penalties would start from the back of the grid anyway. And McLaren almost followed up a 1-2 with a win for Lando Norris, which didn't happen because of uh, you know a late call. And then, if I can just try and, try and summarise, Lewis takes the win. And somehow, and obviously you know how because you guys are the experts, but as I'm watching it, somehow I see Max is in second. It seemed like a crazy race. I felt sorry for Lando Norris. I know we don't take sides, but it seemed like a, a shame. Luke, we'll, we'll stay with you for this one. So for, for, for Russia, in terms of the, 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 the championship battle if it was neutralized in the previous race because it was a double double dnf dnf lewis beats verstappen to second yeah and i think that this was this was a race that looked like a huge opportunity for mercedes that yeah verstappen was going to be starting from the back and it was a good big chance for hamilton to try and sort of like reset things a bit and uh and um and capitalize and then it Obviously, Verstappen had his grid penalty, but then it wasn't going good for Hamilton. He qualified seventh. Obviously, that crazy damp qualifying that we had with the uh, yeah the Norris, Science, Russell top three, which was again really, really just summed up the bizarre nature of the season at points. Just these shock results coming through. Um, but then Hamilton, yeah, he was able to uh, fight his way up, and then we had that really tense battle with Norris as as the laps ticked down. Norris looked to have it in the bag, and then the rain came. They both made their decisions with tires, and it backfired dramatically from for uh, McLaren and I think yeah you have to have a, a heart of stone not to have felt for Lando Norris and McLaren in that moment but as you said Martin like through all of it Verstappen had been able to pick his way through the order had a really good charge Bottas started towards the back as well but he couldn't make anything like the kind of progress that uh, Verstappen did he was really sending some great great moves uh, particularly at the uh, end of the back straight as they went into the final sector and uh, yeah it came away with uh, what a, a seven points loss to Hamilton which was quite astonishing given where both drivers had started when we saw the flip of that in Turkey when it was Hamilton who had to take the grid drop and Verstappen who was starting up the order Verstappen was not able to fully capitalize didn't win that race in Turkey but take a bigger bite out of Hamilton's lead so it was these kind of moments where both of them sort of had to take that penalty at some point and who made more of it and in the end look at the points it was Red Bull and Verstappen who who did make more of it and that that swing in the rain is absolutely crucial to Verstappen's championship. It, it went from a race where, as you say, Luke, it was a massive opportunity for Mercedes and Hamilton to capitalise because yeah, Verstappen was pulling off pass after pass after pass, but he got to a point in that second stint where he 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 caned his tyres. He he couldn't he he wasn't getting any higher than I think it was seventh. Um, but when the calls had to be made in the rain, he went very very early 
which was the right call to make as it turned out and obviously it backfires massively for Norris but there's a key lesson here in, it turned out it turned out well for Hamilton in that he won the race but because Verstappen had made the call early he was able to rise up for seconds so it's sort of a bittersweet moment but the key lesson here in how you win a championship is that remember that it wasn't just Norris who was ignoring his team uh, you know things to pit although I think Norris has got a point when he says the way McLaren phrased it as a question if they'd been more forceful with him, he probably, he probably would have, you know, he would have made a different call because I think they've, they've, you know, they've evaluated their processes and basically they're going to be like, right, this is where you need to listen to us or this is where we need to listen to you as opposed to everyone trying to have their sort of say, as it were. Um, just unfortunate circumstances for McLaren there. But with Mercedes, they knew, they were, like, they were adamant the rain was going to get worse. But what they did was they told Hamilton Verstappen was already on the intermediates. Now, Lewis Hamilton is on 99 wins at this point. He gets 100 wins, fantastic achievement. But I genuinely think in that moment, he doesn't care if he wins or loses that race because he knows he's gaining ground anyway. But he knows he runs the risk of finishing behind Verstappen if he doesn't cover those tyre strategies. So what does he do? He makes the call for the champion with the championship in mind, even though Norris may escape. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily know what's going to happen next. Gets on those inters, wins the race, gains ground on Max, as we say, because of the circumstances, because it was other drivers like Norris, um, Fernando Alonso, things like that, because they stayed out later. That's how Max's path is eased. So yeah, it was both really, really good and really, really bad for Mercedes at the same time. And rain would play a part in Turkey as well. This is one that you guys have said before, you know, when Bottas is on form, he can win a race. And and indeed, that's what he did at the Turkish Grand Prix, beating Max Verstappen and uh, Perez doing his job for the team coming in third at that one. Luke, let's come to you um, for Turkey again. This was a race where Lewis, if I recall, seemed angry at strategy calls with the team. It didn't hook up the weekend and ended up coming home fifth. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a fascinating race on strategy, even though one of the strategies that got someone home was not to pit at all with, with Esteban Ocon when he opted for his no-stop strategy. He obviously ran his inters right the way to the ground, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a very, it was a very tricky one for the strategist kind of work out, like, how do we play this? Like, when do we come in? What's the crossover point and the right time? And it was one of those, the yeah, Mercedes, they seem to, I mean, with hindsight, they said they would have done exactly the same thing, but it, it was the best sort of to their knowledge that they had at the time to keep Hamilton out that little bit longer. But in the end, yeah, it left Hamilton very frustrated because like, why didn't we come in earlier? Like, why didn't we sort of commit to what we were doing um, and uh, yeah it meant that he only came home fifth so did lose ground to Verstappen who finished second it was a weekend that, yeah as you said Martin Bottas pulled out one of his peak Bottas weekends where he's absolutely untouchable really really in, in a good groove a very very good display in very tricky conditions and 12 months earlier probably been his weakest race of 2020 I think he had five spins six spins across that race so it was it was a big turnaround from him um, but yeah, I think the overriding story from that was just Mercedes and Hamilton, just that frustration for Hamilton because he knew what a big chance had been missed. He'd taken that engine penalty, starting 11th on the grid after qualifying on pole position. Um, and uh, yeah, he he, I think he was just upset that he'd not been able to maximise the opportunity that was there with uh, um, the, the, and to minimise the ground that Verstappen um, was making up on him. So, yeah, very frustrating weekend for uh, for Hamilton. But, I mean, it was, yeah, just one of those really bizarre races. And I'm sure, Alex, like with your race report and stuff, analysing the strategies, it, was, uh, it must have been a really quirky one. Oh, definitely. Because you've got Leclerc also at one point was like, oh, I'll try the no stopper as well. Because this is another excellent race from Charles Leclerc that people forget in that he, he you know, he qualified very, very high up the order. And then he just, he wasn't that far behind Verstappen and Bottas uh, in the first inning. He was only, only like five or six seconds back, which okay, is a chunk, but you know, 
he's still in a Ferrari at this point and not in a, in a Red Bull or a Mercedes. So um, anyway, but with that, yeah, this this race is actually, and what happens with Hamilton and Mercedes here, is actually the riposte to all my points that I've been making about this is where you've got to make calls with championship in mind and, you know, you've got to take the sensible best option. The riposte to that is, well, you just don't know to a certain extent, what the best option is. You've got to make your best judgment and it's going to, sometimes it really will go for you and sometimes it won't. So I can totally understand why these things often go awry. And here it really does go awry for Mercedes because by gambling, by, by basically what they were trying to do was leave Hamilton out on the intermediates for as long as possible and then there will come a point where the switch to slicks happens. Say that carefully because my ridiculous voice. But it never did. So basically he thought, he, and I think he backed this as well, but was just annoyed that it backfired, was like, we can win the race here. If we can just gain a free pit stop, we can gain that, you know, the stop everybody else has made to take fresh inters. Suddenly I've got a shock chance of winning. And it was a very real chance. It just never came because of that, uh, that, that surface in Turkey, lot, lots made of it in 2020. It was better um, for the following year, but it just wasn't drying in a normal way. I think Lando Norris, we spoke to him afterwards. It, it was like, yeah, it's kind of, it, it, it was weird. It was like the spray, even the spray coming off that surface was almost dirty. Like you, it was really affecting you know the things that the vision of the drivers on their visor and things like that so the surface was just not behaving as you would expect because it probably should have got to a dry race by that point it, i don't think it had rained particularly much during during the race it all happened as, as we know on the ground in the morning um but it just backfired on mercedes that day but again it becomes critical later on in the year because there they should have taken this more sensible option with hamilton and he probably would have finished third as opposed to fifth End of October, US Grand Prix. In previous years, you know, end of October, we're talking about wrapping up the season. There's still so much more of the year to go, such as the crazy calendar. You guys are travelling more and more, but this is one that we'll talk about in a moment where, Luke, you've got an amazing bit of access to um, Mercedes. But first of all, Alex, we'll start with you in terms of Verstappen um, winning ahead of Hamilton. Was this a classic battle between those two that, that in, in my memory, was one of those races where they're just in a league of their own? You absolutely nailed it there, Martin. They 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 are they are certainly. I mean, it wasn't helped by the fact that Sergio Perez, putting it politely, bit of food poisoning, um, making him feel terribly, <laughs> oh, okay, right. terribly okay, unwell in the car. Actually, I think okay. I, I'm, I'm assuming I'm safe in revealing this. I th- there is a there is a rumor that Verstappen also was not feeling his best. Let's put it that way. Um, which 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 only enhances his incredible performance in in the Austin race that he was also suffering from the same thing that Perez was although perhaps not to the same degree and also Perez didn't have his water bottle functioning which I mean even, oh, no. even at the even at the, even at the best of times in a Formula One car you don't want that happening but certainly not when you're massively dehydrated from the illness that he was suffering from that weekend let's put it that way um, yeah so Verstappen and Hamilton clear off again it's another one where this time I don't think it's a real mistake from Verstappen at the start I think Hamilton just aces it and he's able to get alongside at the first corner for once there's no fireworks um but then it, it boils down into a brilliant strategy display mercedes throw everything at getting hamilton a tire life advantage um, and it, it comes down to a, it, it it's a it's a sort of classic mercedes red bull fight over the last few years in that oh which one of them is going to be able to eke out the tires or use all their tire life is there going to be a big pass Later at this point, it's like, are they going to crash again? Doesn't come to it. Verstappen just about holds on. He's helped by coming across Mick Schumacher's Haas, who he was complaining about holding him up. Then he actually gets DRS for the head of the final lap. But it's a brilliant victory for Verstappen because I think it was swinging so much by this point in terms of the way, particularly, and I think the key point here, I think, Luke, you're right about Bottas being very good in Turkey, but equally, I think Red Bull didn't nail their setup. I think they gave away free time there. And I think if, if Verstappen had been 
closer. And as I say, I maintain, I think that Red Bull car was the best of the season. If he'd been starting on pole in Turkey, he would have won. Or at the very least, if he'd been close to Bottas, he's good enough in the way he might have been able to make a difference. But things didn't go right for Red Bull. So then you arrive in Austin, which is very much Hamilton territory, if not necessarily Mercedes territory. Hamilton is brilliant there. Verstappen does him in qualifying and and it, it's an absolute stunner. It's a, it's a real turn up for the books there. Even Perez is, is right on it as, as well. And and I don't mean that, you know, horribly towards Perez. It's just because he doesn't have, he's never had a reputation as being, uh, being particularly quick in qualifying. Red Bull stunned Mercedes there and Verstappen delivered in the race and Mercedes did everything. It just didn't quite come off. And I thought it was, uh, it was certainly a very, again, a key word I'm using on these podcasts. It was an interesting. Look, one of the great things that I love about what you guys do is a, a- you normally travel to races and, and bring us the story of of what it's like there. But this time, Mercedes invited you to watch it with them at their home base. What was that like? It was not planned. Well, oh, yeah. Was yeah. Is that, hey, uh, uh, there's a villain I saw the smile on piece. your face there, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I was meant to go to the United States Grand Prix. Right. I was very excited. I, lo- I love Austin. It's right. honestly one of my favourite races. Um, it's such a cool, cool event. Um, it was the first race we were going to be allowed back on the grid and things like that, and the paddock would open up a bit more and whatever. Um, so Alex and I, the week before, we went for our visa appointment, and we were seeing five minutes apart by the same immigration lady at the US embassy and everything like that. And um, yeah, Alex then gets an email through saying, oh yeah, your visa's all sorted. It'll be arriving by delivery on X day or whatever. And I get nothing and there's silence. And I'm like, hmm, something's going on here. And so I call up all the numbers I can and I've just got uh, unhelpful people telling me, "Mm, sorry, I can't help you. Um, And basically... I then, about a week later, got an apology from the US Embassy saying they hadn't taken my fingerprints properly. So that meant that they still had my passport and ultimately I didn't travel to Austin. So I, I was understandably quite annoyed and disappointed. Um, and uh, But word got back to Mercedes, who had been planning to do an event at their factory for a little while. And they said, we're looking at Austin maybe. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be there, but sorry, but thank you. Um, and basically when they found out about this, they were like, oh, um, well, we're still planning to do this this weekend. Do you want to come up? So I was like, hell yeah. So actually, not going to Austin led to one of the most insightful and fascinating days I've had in my career as a Formula One journalist. It was honestly incredible. So to be in the the RSR, the race support rooms, I called it in part one, it's like their mission control, basically. And just to be in the inner hub, like when they're making all of these decisions. So I was there for uh, Saturday's running, so FP3 and qualifying. And you just see things in a totally different way. Like you hear all the radio calls that are going on on track, but then when the drivers come into the pits and they sort of plug in, it's called the umbilical cord. And then the radio is that it's not public anymore. And just the way that the drivers open up, the differences between Hamilton and Bottas in their um, feedback was incredible like Lewis he talks so much like he's always saying things he's calling everyone mate he's really like on it with that Bottas is a little less talkative he's a thin to be expected uh, but again he's he's really really detailed in the feedback he's giving and it was just incredible to sort of see how the team functions and obviously qualifying it was so so close and in the end it was Red Bull who came out on top and that was a big surprise given how strong Mercedes have traditionally been in Austin um, and yeah you kind of think like is it going to be like sort of like is everyone going to be really annoyed and angry and pissed off and everything but no there's just like total silence and everyone's wearing their cans uh, headphones and i wrote in the the feature i did for autosport you can still read it on autosport.com you take off the headphones when everything's going on and it's kind of like doing that at a silent disco like everything's <laughs> going on around you but it's just dead silence you hear and it's really 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 weird um but yeah it was honestly just a fascinating day um 
yeah, without wishing to plug mine or Autosport's own work, I would really encourage anyone to go and have a read of that feature because it does just shine a light on the unsung heroes who you don't hear about, who are making these strategy calls, who are the real brains behind, uh, yeah, the calls that can win races side championships um yeah so thank you to the u.s embassy for your visa <laughs> cock up because that actually led to a very very good day i will happily give that a plug it's a brilliant article sorry alex it's, I was saying, there's, there's a very there's a very interesting lesson here in how the media works now different publications present things because uh, uh, ben hunt the formula one correspondent from the sun was with you luke and yes. i'll be honest we were the only two journalists there yeah the way his feature was presented was because there's a very interesting piece part in your piece which is basically how mercedes use um students they they have them in on internships and things like that and they're listening to all the other teams radios and they're presenting it um, basically they, they type up the transcripts and the, it's very very useful that's how mercedes knew that things were going to get worse in russia because it had this information in terms of the weather they, they, they were listening to what other drivers were reporting at that point of the track and it was inferring their um it, it, it was it, it was it was feeding into their decision making process but that got reported in the sun as mercedes has got an army of spies which I think, which I think, greatly amused their their press their their chief press officer uh, on that uh, on that fact. But yeah, all those all those spies that Mercedes have got working for them, according to the Sun, which was also amusing. accompanied by a headshot of Ben in the paper, uh, wearing uh, like a spy sunglasses and a cap and like a big trench coat and everything as well, just for added effect. But uh, yeah, but I get, like, yeah, it's just interesting. Like it just shows how different publications go for it. And I was like really getting into the nitty gritty of things because we are, I mean, we cater for, and to the fans listening to this podcast, you are the ultimate F1 fans. Like you care about all these tiny details and everything that goes on. Um, whereas obviously the sun is the, it's the broadest audience possible. So uh, yeah, I must say I did, I did uh, it did raise a smile for me as well when I saw Ben's uh, spies piece. And now, like, because I'm good mates with Ben, and we will sort of uh, anytime Mercedes do something good, we'll be like, oh, the spies are at it again. But who would have thought Mercedes would uh, crack the code of having someone listen to team radio? What an, what an incredible idea! Just listen to team radio, like <laughs> everyone's it, doing it that. Is, it is genuinely amazing. Like, they basically have these uni students, and they say to them, Look, you guys are here on a placement, but if you want to be part of a race weekend operation, like, you can volunteer. And I, I was sat there, and they're literally watching all the sky feeds, they're taking screenshots of like all the data that's coming through. They're listening to all the radio, and I just think it's just an incredible way to sort of develop the next generation of F1 strategists and engineers that they can literally give up their spare weekend to be part of like a Mercedes like F1 win or like of their sort of weekend operations. So yeah, incredible insight. Really, really uh, grateful for the chance to have uh, gone and done that. Let's move on to Mexico. And again, my memories of this are just of a, you know, ecstatic home fans seeing a charging Sergio Perez. But actually in the title fight, it was another Max win and a Lewis second. Alex, we'll come to you on this one for Mexico. At this point of the season, Max still with the upper hand. Yes, but Red Bull did a very good job of trying to get give away that upper hand. Um, in qualifying, they massively, massively underperformed. I think things go wrong with the their use of using the tyres there, and also then they just try and get too clever by trying the toe tactics. Which okay, yeah, it worked for them magnificently in Abu Dhabi. I'm sure we'll come to talk about that later on. But it just they just looked like things were just needlessly messing up there, and it means that Verstappen started uh, third uh, behind the two Mercedes drivers. But then at the start, he puts in, and I maintain this, the pass of the season. 
by going around the outside of both of those cars. Bottas, uh, great pole position. And oh, there's a, there's an interesting stat in that Bottas, I think, tops qualifying twice and yet comes away with four pole positions. And actually, it should be five because he won the sprint race in Monza, but then gets a grip. And, oh, sorry, Formula One and the FAA, sort that out for next year. Just give <laughs> just give pole positions for qualifying. Cool, cool winning the sprint race, something else. Just make it easier. And I think they are looking at that. But it's worth saying again, because that's utterly ridiculous. And that's not having a go at Bottas. He's actually harmed by this. Anyway, whatever. I'm getting massively sidetracked. Verstappen, it's the pass of the season because he it, it's it's super aggressive. It's super late. It's super, it's risky, but he stays on track. He pulls it off brilliantly. And it's actually, it's actually really interesting. I think, I think Lewis Hamilton says afterwards, he, he doesn't mean this nastily. You just, I think it's just, you sense a little bit of, oh, I wish that had gone different. And he's like, yeah, Valtteri could have blocked him and he didn't. And I think that Bottas just in the moment, just unfortunate, got it wrong. Verstappen goes around, gets on the outside line, he's able to put off that pass. And then he just disappears because as you say, Martin, Red Bull did have the upper hand there. They're very good in Mexico. I think that advantage of the Honda engine has now been negated by Mercedes gains on their own engine. But that track just suits the rebel package it suits its aero it suits everything they can run the super high downforce package because of the thin air that mercedes just can't match and verstappen disappeared perez is bothering hamilton wasn't going to get close but at least as you say a very popular uh, appearance on the podium that move from max at the start and i think mercedes said afterwards they'll oh that was a very on the edge move from max like any little bit further to leave it to braking like he'd, he'd have been off but kind of like but that's that's kind of the point like you want to see drivers like leaving it as late as possible for that and it was a really really amazing move and yet after that he was just untouchable and Red Bull yeah they looked so strong in the race obviously Checo with that charge to, to third and, and closing on Lewis in the end and those wonderful scenes as well afterwards in um, in Forasol when they were celebrating his dad was running around going mental with the, uh, the Mexican flag and everything and I was I just was so heartwarming to see him really yeah really really touched me and I think it was uh, yeah just uh, again uh, it was another sort of feel good result in a way like but mainly for the man who finished third which is kind of strange but it's um, yeah I think though that was kind of when you were looking at the championship being like okay Red Bull look they're in this groove again like Max he's he's won in Austin he's won in Mexico he's starting to eke out this gap again and like are we now in a position where Mercedes it's going to be difficult for them to, to strike back and I think after the weekend Andrew Shovlin looking ahead to Brazil said that um, Andrew Shovlin the Mercedes um, head of trackside engineering he said that yeah if we if we don't win here then we've got a real mountain to climb in the title race um, because the picture was looking pretty bleak at that point. The momentum was really with Max and, and with Red Bull. And then came Brazil. Then came Brazil. Max having a little fondle of Lewis's rear wing. But now is the opportunity for everyone on social media that wants to accuse us of having a Hamilton bias. You are more than welcome to do that right now. Because we can talk about from the last race, the pass of the season, to perhaps the drive of the season. Of any great sporting event of the year, possibly. Lewis starting Last, I'll get trying to get this right. Lewis uh, starting last and going to fifth in the sprint. Another grid penalty back to 10th and then winning the race. Uh, Luke, we'll stay with you uh, for this one. Uh, can we call this the drive of the season? Yes. Yeah, 100%. It was just phenomenal, I thought, from Lewis. And uh, when he finally completed that move on Max, I think I put on Twitter, like, oh, he's just done a, a last to first challenge, basically. And Inevitably, people are like, well, he's no, he's come from tenth. It's not from last. But um, no, it was it was just an incredible display. And yeah, I mean, obviously, the fact that there was the sprint race did did help things. Like, it did sort of give a, another bite of the cherry, basically, to make up that ground. Um, but it was it was just a phenomenal performance. And it was a weekend where yeah, Mercedes they'd been expected to struggle. Red Bull were thought. 
to have the upper hand going to Brazil. And then in qualifying, we saw, yeah, Lewis was just on it immediately, took pole by four tenths, which around Interlagos is a pretty huge margin. Um, we saw Mercedes with this crazy straight line speed advantage that was around the time that there was all the intrigue around the rear wing and Red Bull suggesting, oh, there's something funny going on there and they, they could potentially protest down the line. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't, even with that advantage, I mean, you can't take away from Lewis just how brilliant that performance was. And even at the end of the sprint race, I mean, he was on the final lap. The way he sent it to pass Lando Norris into turn one was just absolutely phenomenal. And the closing speeds were pretty crazy because of just how big his advantage was, particularly with um, with DRS in a straight line. But uh, yeah, it was just a, a monumental display. Um, we had the turn four run in between the two of them that would be subject to so much uh, controversy. And the fact that the stewards didn't look into it would lead to a, a, right, a request to review by Mercedes. Um, but in the end, yeah, I think, again, it's sort of the bigger picture in mind that Hamilton, a couple of laps later, got close and then went, oh, I'm not going to go for it this lap. I'm going to buy my time a little bit longer and then finally got the move done. Um, yeah, just a really, really incredible display. For me, up there with Hamilton's greatest ever performances, um, if not the greatest ever performance we've seen from him. Um, yeah, a phenomenal drive. Alex, there's a kind of a common thread running through some of the seasoned observers of Formula One like yourself uh, that if you really want to see the best out of Lewis Hamilton put his back against the wall would you agree that this was because he felt almost angry at what had happened that weekend oh oh absolutely absolutely I think I think it's after the next race in Qatar where Hamilton is brilliant as well that Toto Wolff said oh they've they've woken up the lion he's He's angry and cold-blooded. It's a great quote. I won't do my Toto Wolf impression, but I, I read it out in oh, his please voice. Please do. Please no, do. No, it's not as good as I think it is. But it is just, just everybody at home, imagine Toto Wolf saying that. It's just spectacular. And it's true. It's totally true. I think it really did bring out the best of Lewis Hamilton, which isn't necessarily, I think, a good thing. Should he not, if he's able to hit that level, be reaching it all the time? That's a counterpoint, but it is definitely true. He used that as fuel to 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 produce a sensational performance. So just to go go back to something you said earlier, Martin, everyone has the right to accuse us of having a Hamilton bias or any other utter nonsense that they frankly can come up with. Doesn't make it true. And it is not the case uh, in, in this instance. But anyway, with that, it was the race of the season. It was the drive of the season. It was it was it was truly incredible from Hamilton, and it all comes down from the fact that there's there's so many interesting elements in this in this Brazil weekend. In the fact that his rear wing failed scrutineering, and you've got as you say Verstappen touching that rear wing, which was honestly the stupidest thing I've seen in Formula One this year. I know like people like Sebastian Vettel are like, oh, it's ridiculous. How dare you get over there? No, 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 no. Just don't touch each other's cars. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what was it? Was it the DTM a few years ago where um, the guy got disqualified because his dad had like squirted water into his pocket and that meant that technically he was outside the regulations because when he got weighed, that water you know, it was it was this added substance. You know, these things matter. These rules are there for a reason. I don't care that you're Formula One drivers and you're interested and you're going to have a look. And yeah, fine, go and have a look. Look at all the interesting things in it. Don't touch them. And I, I include Sebastian Vettel being Inspector Seb and how nice that is for, for social media, things like that. Fantastic. Go and have a look with your eyes. Don't touch them. It's totally needless. And Mercedes was totally right in their defence when it came to this rear wing thing to raise that. You know, how do we know? Okay, yeah, fine. It, you probably have to, I don't know, like a pneumatic drill or a sledgehammer to actually damage a rear wing considering how well they're engineered and the forces they're supposed to cope with. That's what you'd need to actually hurt it or, you know, harm it. But equally, just don't do it. It was so needless for Verstappen and it did cost him 50,000 euros. Quite right in my view. Anyway, anyway, sidetracked here. 
The point I wanted to make about the rear wing was that it's a very, very small thing that Mercedes failed. And they were banged to rights. They, he deserved to be thrown out of qualifying because his car was illegal. It wasn't illegal by much, but still, it, was, it still happened. And the thing was, was the DRS screws were loose. That's what caused it. And on the right side of the wing, it was opening too much. And now, got to be a little bit careful here because I don't want to insinuate that anybody did anything wrong and it may well have been out on track that the, that the damage occurred. But, you know, it was, the, it was in the middle of that triple header, another triple header that, I don't know who likes, apart from probably the, the you know the finance people at FOM in terms of cramming in all these races. People are exhausted. How do we know that there wasn't some minor, terribly unfortunate incident that just meant the screws weren't done up properly because someone was tired? I think you've really got to factor that in. And and and, and like I say, I'm not saying that there's any one individual to blame here. And I'm sure Mercedes Mercedes would be very quick to to point that out and and things like that. And and no, but I'm you know it's just interesting to think as a concept there could potentially have consequences to all these this ridiculous calendar that's being fostered on but with that that's that, that's what the reason why i raise that is because there's just so many interesting elements this brazil weekend we've covered hamilton and his driving and how magnificent he was but then you've got the fia the other side the, the good side of the fia and that they picked up an, 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 an illegality in a car and he was disqualified from uh, from qualifying but then you've got the ridiculous call that was made in the race when it came to Verstappen defending against Hamilton for, for, for when it came to the move for the race winning the Grand Prix because what Verstappen did was, was completely over the line it was completely against racing rules and yet Michael Massey, the the stewards as well, impacting. They decided it was we're gonna we're gonna let them play on. There's this you know he's oh, oh it's hard fair racing. Well he drove off the track. I mean, if he'd stayed on the track, fine, but he didn't. He was completely off it and they decided to let that go. And that's why everything that happens in Jeddah in a couple of races time happens because if a Stappen goes, well, hang on a minute, you said that was fine. So I'm going to do it again. Of course, he's going to do it again. I, I disagree. It was never allowed. He should never have done it in the first place. He should never have been allowed to do it in the first place. And you saw that in Abu Dhabi when he comes on the first lap. He throws it down the inside of Hamilton, but he just reigns in enough to make sure the move is legal. And if the FIA had stood up for things there and made the right decision there, and I'm not saying these things are easy, but they should have got it right and they didn't. And it led to one of the, an awful race in Saudi Arabia. I was really almost upset having watched it because it wasn't a motor race. It was almost a joke. Like it just wasn't pleasant. It wasn't good. It wasn't, wasn't quality sport. And that's why Brazil is so interesting because it contains all these elements. There's even a knock-on effect in Qatar because Again, I'm sorry, it's ridiculous. I understand why you can't have all the cameras recording all of the footage at the same time because it's it's very expensive, it's it's very complex technology, right? At this point in the season, surely just have the the, the, the cameras facing forward for both title contenders. Just just have it, just for the sake of easiness. I don't understand for the sake of uh, one TV shot why that was needed. But anyway, they didn't have, the stewards made that decision with not having all the onboard cameras available to them. And when it eventually came out a few days later... I'm sorry, Max barely decides to make the corner there. He's so far away from the apex. But the stewards then go, I've got my the story, that I, the explanation I sort of wrote up and the reason why Mercedes write a review into what happened there because they were like, he should have got a penalty for that in Qatar, why that was thrown away. They The stewards decided that, yeah, it was significant. It wasn't significant enough. So again, they're just marking their own homework. It was like, yeah, it, we just decided it was fine. So it's, it's fine now. Also, there's a hilarious bit where they sort of like, oh yeah, we don't want to become like football where, you know, you, we want we want to have, we, you know, these things to drag on. And I got a message from from a, from a press officer being like, have they not heard of VAR? Like football now has a thing <laughs> where you can make sure the yeah. correct decisions are made. What are you doing for yes. me one? I just, I oh, just all baffling from the FIA, all needless. And, and the thing is, 
that wasn't even the most controversial call that they made in the year. <laughs> yes, well, which does lead us nicely on to, to do no disservice to these three races, we can't, I kind of want to wrap them up and talk about them all together because Lewis is on the front foot, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi. In all of those races, Lewis, a dominant performance, I would say, but all of them have talking points of which... You know, the final race, of course, millions of words um, written about. As we go into Qatar, so Lewis wins ahead of Max Verstappen, ahead of Fernando Alonso, actually, uh, for that one. Let's start to talk about uh, Luke. Let's talk, start to talk about this final three races where everything is happening. This tension between the drivers. There's now a war of words between the team bosses, which some people think was some people think was artificial to take pressure off the drivers. I don't know if you believe in that or not. And then all of a sudden we're, we're talking about how the, you know, the rule makers are having an, an influence on the races as well. We'll start with Qatar Luke, um, your memories of that. Yeah, I think one of my Sana memories from that was the Friday press conference between Toto Wolff and Christian Horner, because that for me was the real low point in relations between the two of them. It was where Horner said there is no relationship between the two teams. And he said, look, we're not going to like take each other out for dinner or have a beer or kiss each other's asses or anything like that. He said, we're going head to head for a world championship. But it was just a time when things were so fraught between the two teams. And Wolf was so, uh, yeah, I mean, after Brazil, he was, he was, I mean, buoyed by what Hamilton had done, as Alex said earlier, when he said that um, the adversity Lewis had faced had made him cold-blooded, brutal, um, and just turned him into Awoken the Lion. Um, but he also said um, diplomacy has ended in Formula One, which I later misquoted as democracy has ended. And Mercedes <laughs> chief press officer messaged me going like, uh, I think you got that wrong. Toto's not like rethought Athenian thinking or anything like that. So and I was like, oh, that's such a such a mistake on my part. But it was, um, but yeah, I mean, it was just a real bitter time between the two teams. And it kind of felt almost as though the team bosses were more in this sort of war of words and upset about things and even the drivers were. It was very, very, very strange. But yeah, I think Qatar, it was a weekend where again, we had all these FIA decisions. We had again, stewarding in the spotlight when um, we had the, the yellow flag instance in qualifying that meant we got to Sunday on the race, like still not knowing what the grid would look like. Would Max have a penalty or not? Um, Alex, you and I were stood on the grid and we literally watched them swapping Carlos Sainz and Valtteri Bottas's positions around because they they got the grid wrong after applying penalties. So it was uh, it was just a very it was a weekend that I think yeah it was a taste of things to come on like the race itself yeah Lewis was dominant Max put in a really good recovery drive um, to take second and then obviously that Fernando Alonso podium as well um, L plan that he called it fully activated but um, yeah I mean off track it was I think things were starting to brew yeah Michael Massey I mean he faced a lot of questions at the end of that weekend about sort of the stewarding and everything. Thing that happened and he was he said look to me it's quite clear that the drivers do know what is and is not allowed um in a wheel-to-wheel battle which was something a lot of drivers dis- disagreed with um yeah george russell gpda director he was like for me it's absolutely not clear like i don't understand what what is and isn't allowed because max had clearly gone too far um and that would as alex said for saudi arabia that would really i think sow the seeds for what would follow and then, Alex, you called it farcical in your race report at Saudi Arabia. That's, you felt really strongly about that. 
Yeah, it's really interesting chatting to another journalist in the press room after that race um, who writes for a, a website that's ultimately owned by Disney, which is interesting when you think about, you know, the different perspectives. But it's, it's also interesting because of what matters to different people, you know, in terms of re reporting, but also readers and, and audiences and everything. Like some people like, oh my God, that's the best thing that's ever happened. Wow. And it, again, it come, the, the word I keep referring back to in this podcast, interesting. There's no doubt that Cheddar race was interesting. First of all, I think the track, it was always going to be chaos. I'm sorry, we've been warned by various people throughout the year. Not warned, but just like, mm -hmm, have you seen how quick it is? Have you seen how narrow the walls are? There's going to be that big accident. Look what happens in Baku. Okay, Baku, not as extreme as that. But anyway, you know, things like that. Yeah, hopefully, as I think George Russell is right, that changes do need to be made to that circuit. And they have got enough money to do it. So why can't they? But anyway on the on the on the yeah on the racing incidents i mean there's there's so there's so many again sorry interesting things here look at what yuki sonoda does when he's fighting sebastian vettel and look look what charles leclerc does when he's fighting his teammate carlos Sainz jr now leclerc i asked leclerc about this and he said i was you know he, he said it, he said it, he disagreed he doesn't see it this way but they put their cars in a position in the same way max verstappen does at the what is it the the second start and then also again when he's defending against Lewis Hamilton later on although slight, slightly different um, in, in later on but basically they, they're on the outside and they just refuse to give up they're just like right we know this is allowed now we can hang on here and actually we can cut the corner the two key differences one Sonoda absolutely messes it up and just gets on the curbs and hits Vettel and it's pretty shocking driving Leclerc cuts it but it's because he's his teammate. There's not that much furore about it. But you can see there's there's very clear similarities with what's going on there, and especially with what Verstappen does. And I think all of that, Leclerc is probably he, he he obviously much you know knows much much more about this than I do. But you can understand why everybody would be confused and why there would be different messages than what's going on. And, and you know. I, I I interviewed Norris in Qatar, Landon Norris in Qatar for our um, season review stuff, and it got kept our, our, the time to chat kept getting pushed back, back and back and back and back because their driver meeting, which was happening just beforehand, went on for over an hour, and they were getting these ridiculous mixed messages and things like different stewards may decide things differently in Brazil. It's like, well, how so? How on earth are they supposed to race? I'm sorry, Michael Massey. I know what he said to you, Luke. It was it was completely ridiculous. They had no idea. And the interesting thing was, I think the the insinuation of some explanations of what Lewis Hamilton said at that driver meeting was that Verstappen said nothing. Why would he say anything? Because he's like, well, I know what I'm doing because they've said it's okay. And again, as I said, you know, of course he's going to do that. But going back to the Jeddah race, yeah, I just thought it was, yeah, the, the red flags, could have seen that coming from a mile off. Um, and just, but just again, the repeated driving off track, the, you know, there there was a lot made on social media about that. You know, the whole, this is where actually I, I, I almost defend Massey in the sort of, oh, I'm going to make you an offer to, you know, you can go back from pole position, blah, blah, blah. That, that actually was fine because it was a sort of, look, if you don't give that place back, if we're racing on track, I'll just send you to the stewards or so refer it up to the stewards. So they, they, there wasn't anything particularly controversial about that. But, you know, then there was the, then there was the red flag, you know, that it was, you know, that it got Verstappen ahead because he hadn't put it under the safety car. Mercedes were, 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 were crying, uh, were very suspicious about that. I was going to say crying foul. That's not quite what crying I'm Crying wolf, you're going to well, no, no, no. Nice. <laughs> nice. I, I, I wish I had. Honestly, nice. I, wish, I wish that had been what I was thinking. I was actually thinking crying foul, but then I was like, no, it doesn't quite work. Anyway, but Lewis Hamilton was like, oh, hang on a minute. They just read, Ragged the race and gained him those time. Anyway, um, yeah, it just it just and it all boiled over. And then there was the then there was the 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 the, 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 the next clash. It wasn't quite a crash, but obviously Lewis Hamilton goes into the back of Verstappen. Verstappen's found to be at fault. It just it had it all. It was very interesting. <laughs> Sorry for that again, but I just thought it was deeply unpleasant watching. And uh, okay, it, this could happen anywhere. The crash in the F two race, but two drivers ended up in hospital. 
I just thought it just wasn't a good look for Formula One. It wasn't motor racing. It wasn't really sport. It was just. I think I think this is in the it's in the uh, the the race report that I wrote for the magazine for autosport.com plus. It was Netflix. It was just like a series of Netflix. It was like what's going to happen next? How are we going to make this uh, made for TV? And that's not sport. That's not as it's entertaining. It's interesting, but it's not sport. It's just it felt contrived. It felt unpleasant. Yeah, that was my takeaway from that race. All right, given the amount of controversy around uh, that race, uh, Luke, how are you feeling as we come away from from Saudi Arabia into Abu Dhabi at that point in the season? Albeit only a few weeks ago. And the fact that the drives were now tied on points going into the season finale as well. It couldn't really have been set up any 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 better for F1 in many ways, but it also meant that every little point of controversy in Abu Dhabi would only be magnified. And I think that, yeah, we, we came away from that weekend very much like, I think that whereas Qatar had been about the team bosses really going head to head and butting heads, I think that it was now the drivers taking their turn in Saudi Arabia, obviously literally colliding on tracks. So I think that it just left things in such a, so so finely poised as as we went to Abu Dhabi and um, yeah I remember I think F1 as a whole we were quite glad to get to Abu Dhabi in many ways like it was good to it was good to get to the final race of the season and sort of uh, yeah we were on sort of familiar ground in terms of like we knew what the track would be like albeit with a few changes and uh, yeah and I think that we were in many ways excited for the title side but also there was a definite degree of apprehension because we right the way through the weekend there were questions of well how is this going to be decided is it going to be a Senna Pro Suzuka moment is it going to be as have been at so many recent races we're going to go to the stewards we're going to end up in court are we actually going to when the checker flag goes down on Sunday night are we going to know who our world champion was they're all very valid questions and both teams were like look we don't want this decided in the in the stewards room we don't want this going to court or anything like that um but I don't think any of us could have foreseen just all of the fallout that would follow because and how that championship would be ultimately decided you know, you guys are both seasoned motorsport writers into your second year of your current roles. Alex, second year now of the legendary Autosport Grand Prix editor position. And, and Luke, your second year of being our F1 reporter. And with all of that experience that you, you, you bring into this, and now we're recording this a couple of weeks, weeks after, with the benefit of hindsight and the millions of words written about it. And interestingly, the silence from Lewis Hamilton, even the silence from the uh, rights holders about the issue, leaving that up to the, the FIA. As we take a deep breath and you look back, Alex will come to you first. How are you feeling now with a little bit of space since that final race about what happened? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. What happened at the end of the race was wrong in the way things played out and the calls that were made. And that, to be very clear to Red Bull and Max Verstappen fans, that is not an attack on you, on that, on their position. The Red Bull did nothing wrong. They could only play the circumstances in front of them. And they, as a team, thanks to Sergio Perez, had got themselves in the position to be able to do that because Verstappen, had, sorry, Perez had cost, him, cost Hamilton so much time in that magnificent defence he put up against Lewis Hamilton um, that it just meant Hamilton didn't have enough time to safely make a pit stop during that safety car. Um, yeah, it's a, a real couple of things to, to think about with Abu Dhabi. One, just very quickly going back to Jeddah, what I really, also another thing I really didn't like was that Verstappen was just so needlessly aggressive. Even the the start incident where he got past Hamilton and Ocon required Hamilton to turn out of contact, and he was like, right, just just tone it down, Max. Just come on, like it just wasn't it just wasn't that. That's the reason why he's not number one in the top fifty. Why he's not number one 
in in um, in the autosport, you know, my F1 top 10. It's because it just went too far. In Abu Dhabi, he did it perfectly. He did everything perfectly. His qualifying in Jeddah went wrong right at the last minute when he'd been spent spectacularly on it, nearly produced one of the qualifying laps in F1 history, one of the best in F1 history. In Abu Dhabi, absolutely nails it at a track where Mercedes are very, very, very good. Okay, yeah, it went wrong in 2020 for them with the tyres. Different layout this time, different tyres this time. They were much more in the game. Verstappen absolutely nails it and full credit to him. The toe tactics pay off here in qualifying with Perez. Red Bull did absolutely brilliantly. But then Verstappen did make that mistake in Q2 that meant he was on the lesser strategy. And that's ultimately what lost him the race. The race was lost in, you know, by just before Nicholas Latifi crashes because Hamilton, okay, he'd been held up by Perez, but he'd done enough to get it to get it won and what happened you know again it's the marking their own homework thing they were never gonna the FIA never gonna overturn these things because per their explanation first of all Michael Massey can do what he likes and also some rules can supersede other rules it's just it's just ridiculous there there, there needs to be they're announcing this commission that will look into it it needs to come up with some actual right things are going to be done differently because I, I honestly, part of me is a little bit disappointed that Mercedes didn't take it further. And yeah, okay, it would have gone to the FIA's International Court of Appeal, which obviously wouldn't have changed, changed anything. And then people are like, oh, well, you can't take it to CAS and things like that. Well, you can do anything you want legally. Why not? Why, you know, they could have, they could have really made a point here. And it's a bit of a shame they didn't, but I understand why they why they didn't. And of course, I think I think people that are saying, oh, you know, Lewis Hamilton wouldn't want to win his eighth title in a courtroom. I think that's, I think that's completely, I think that's completely right. Of course, he wouldn't, but. Yeah, his silence is really speaking a lot. He's obviously very unhappy about this and he has every right to be. The thing was, I made this point in the magazine. I made it on autosport.com. All Massey had to do, Martin, as you mentioned earlier when we were talking about Baku, was throw a red flag. He may even have had grounds to do that because there's an article in these regulations, which obviously we now know he can do what he likes or the race director, whoever that is, can do what they like. He may have had grounds to do it because you could just say, well, we, we need to assess the barrier. We need to clear up all that daybreak. Just throw the red flag immediately. And yet that would have taken away Red Bull's advantage that they they were in that position. But I still think Verstappen is world champion because they're both on soft tyres. They've both got the chance to, to you know, to, to fight on fair ground. And I think Verstappen, because of the, he he had also, my other point, sorry, to, to go back to the way I think things went differently for him in Abu Dhabi, was that he was, he, he was racing hard as hard and fast as ever but he was doing it within the rules he didn't go off the track in that first corner move it was Hamilton that did and controversially got away with it I think Verstappen still wins that title and I think that people are right his title is always going to be to a certain extent and I know this is a strong word tainted he's always going to have that asterisk next to it because the FIA in the decisions that were made created that situation I'm sorry if you're going to allow lap cars to overtake they all have to go through. And I know it's all or any in the regulations, blah, blah, blah. It, you're just making it up. As it, uh, that, that, that's what it felt like anyway. That, that's my opinion. It just felt it just felt like things weren't being done as they should have been. It felt all too convenient that it set up a last lap thriller. It just all felt a bit too... It didn't... It just wasn't right. And, you know, I think it's really interesting looking back at Formula 1 now. Netflix has been around for a few years. There's a lot of talk about it. It's brought people in new people into the championship that's absolutely wonderful but we've never seen it, it you know the first few years it was just the Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes show they they, they, you know, they walked to the title last year it was brilliant they dominated they were great in 2019 but now 
you can actually see that Formula One's soul has completely changed. It's not the Formula One that it was when it started. Of course it's not. Things change, they're different. But also it's not necessarily in a good way. That wasn't sport, what happened at the end there. And it was entertainment. And it, it was brilliant. It was interesting. Verstappen is a worthy world champion. He's a brilliant driver. But it just wasn't, it just wasn't sport. And I think I think Lewis has got a point with what he says on the team radio. He feels this has been manipulated. Of course, he's going to feel that way. That letting those lap cars out, a lot of drivers, you listen to their team radio, they're totally confused. It's just, yeah, it's that's how I'm still feeling about it nearly two weeks later. It's very hard in a kind of social media binary world where, you know, in, right or wrong, um, if you criticise the fact if, if you criticise the way that Max won, you are therefore critical of him. And I've not heard any criticism of him, of his world championship, from anybody working at Autosport. But I understand why people, when they hear a criticism of the way he won, they can't, you know, do their own thinking and separate. That's not what we're saying. Anyway, final word. Last couple of minutes. Can I, can uh, I however pick up however minutes, long you want to take. However long you want to take, Luke, last word to you. Uh, no, no, no. I just, and on the the flip side of that on social media and it's been something that I've had thrown at me quite a lot since Abu Dhabi is that if you don't speak uh, speak up and apparently say how this is such a, a tragedy for Formula One and wrong and that Lewis Hamilton robbed of the title you are complicit in costing Lewis Hamilton the championship which is it's utter madness and it does ridiculous. a huge amount of totally ridiculous. disrespect yeah. to what we do as journalists and the fact is yeah you can't ask us to be be more biased like do that and and no it's silly like we have spoken we have written at length as we've done through this podcast through all of our work since Abu Dhabi how wrong what happened in Abu Dhabi was and why it was not the way this season should have ended and the mistakes that were made and why yeah the FIA in its decision making and what race control did has put a huge huge downer on what has been a classic and epic season for Formula One and it is was so wrong that it ended as it did but ultimately I mean, what, 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 what more, what more is there to do? Like Alex, I agree with you. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that Mercedes didn't take their action further because I think it would have been right. We're going to properly hold it to account and we're going to take this as far as we could. And I think they were well within their rights to do so. And okay, for the good of the sport, yeah, best not to do that. Fine. And now we've got to see what this FIA commission does. And I think that again, though, it's the fact that are they going to be marking their own homework? Is the FIA going to find that the FIA actually didn't do anything too massively wrong? But, I mean, you've, we can't ever have a repeat of what happened in Abu Dhabi. Like, it's got to be clearer because it was not the way this season should have ended. And I got so many messages from like friends and, and, and new fans to the sport who wouldn't normally watch F1, but were so intrigued by this amazing sporting battle who have now gone, well, I don't, don't really want to watch it anymore. Like, if that's how it is, if it's so artificial, what's the point? And ultimately, look, safety cars do happen and whatever, but the way the rules were executed or not by the FIA was so poor. And I really just hope things have to, I really just hope things do change. But yeah, to say that we are complicit in Lewis Hamilton losing the championship, I think is, uh, yeah, it's just, honestly, like it's just, yeah, you look at social media and I'm normally a big fan of social media. I think it's got a lot of power for good, but the last few weeks have just been so toxic and awful. And every day waking up to mention sort of pointing the finger, we saw Nicholas TV did a really good statement about the abuse that he's had. And I mean, frankly, even one journalist said, do you think you have to say sorry to anyone after the race? Which was just utterly oh, yeah, was an a, awful thing to ask anyone. That was a ridiculous anyone. question. Yeah, 
Yeah. Awful, awful. And I think it just stokes the fire further. So, yeah, my message is basically, yeah, separate what the FIA is doing and how they're going to learn from this, we hope, from what we do as reporters, because ultimately we, we, we're we not complicit in this title fight at all. Two, can I say make two very say two very quick things? One, when I said um, Verstappen's title is tainted, a that's true, and it will have an asterisk. But also, he doesn't deserve that. He does not deserve it. it and it was the way they did nothing wrong. Red Bull and Verstappen did nothing wrong, but th- that will always follow them into, or you know, follow the looking back on that championship. And they don't deserve that because they've been so good and so brilliant all year. Yes, crossed the line at times with his driving, but absolutely magnificent. Final point: something I wanted to say on a podcast all year, actually. A happy thing about social media. One of the greatest things I have discovered this year is something on social media, and that's F1 TikTok. Luke knows this because I send him videos all the time. <laughs> if you want to escape all the awfulness on Twitter and these days in Instagram comments, because like we see, it, I know Instagram is supposed to be the happy place where it's just nice photos. Oh, my driver ratings go up. People just not understanding or just being awful for the sake of it. Go and watch F1 I TikTok. I got a fraud yesterday. Uh, it's just <laughs> uh, my job, absolutely so. ridiculous. Go and watch videos on F1 TikTok. They're really wholesome. They're really funny. They're really clever as well. Well, there we go. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Over the last two podcasts, if you haven't checked out part one, make sure you do so. We have an hour on the first half of the season and an hour on the second half just now uh, and it deserved it deserved that time on the Autosport podcast for what was an incredible season and if you like me are already wanting your fix of things to read and watch and listen to uh, do check out the 124 page Autosport Christmas double issue but there is more a 60 page F1 review Alex have you had time to work on this between the end of Abu Dhabi and now you you guys haven't literally haven't stopped have you well it, you know we guys it goes back a fair way in that we were already thinking about how we divide things up and what features need to be included and what the big stories of the season but yeah it has been it's been a pretty um leak knows this as well and obviously Luke, you've you've been doing you know all the F1 news as well going on the website around it it's been pretty it's been pretty full on but you just know that that is the time of year. That's what happens. And these things, you know, they, they all do need to be covered, given all the attention they deserve. And I think, yeah, um, yeah, do everyone, if you if you haven't bought the magazine already, um, do go and buy it. And it's a great issue. Um, it's the first time I've ever done like a little leader text in the supplement, um, you know, little little mini column at the start there where I go on. I, I do mention, you know, it does feel like the soul of Formula One at the moment is either at stake or is certainly noticeably changed and probably not for the better. But yeah. Um, always a pleasure producing stuff for Autosport coming on this podcast um, and yeah it's just it, it, it's a lot of hard work to get these many magazines put in place um, around the Christmas holidays and with all the travel and with all the uh, build up of um, you know all the um, tiredness of going to all these races but we do love it it is always brilliant and um, and yeah just um, thank you for having us on the podcast throughout the year Martin and uh, thank you to all the listeners and all the readers as well we look forward to uh, to next year. Luke's done an amazing piece on what was, if you know, the the intrigue of McLaren Ferrari as well, because that's a whole podcast on its own. Uh, but it's certainly something that you should read uh, in what is 184 pages of uh, of motorsport writing and amazing content. So by the time you are absolutely sick of of terrible Christmas telly and and, uh, and 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 whatever you're doing after a while getting bored of that go down and I don't know supermarket or uh, news agents and pick up uh, an autosport edition that will keep you busy and it's just the pictures in there are amazing as well but I will stop now gentlemen thank you so much for your time and we will see you in 2022 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This year is your year, even if you also said that in 2022. And however you want to make a splash, Mother Nature can help you every step of the way with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Wool Runner Mizzles are shoes made from premium, supernatural, weather-repellent materials. So you can jump into this year with both feet, rain or shine. The high-top uppers are made from temperature-regulating, moisture-wicking merino wool treated with durable puddle guard technology to keep you dry and comfy. And you can take confident strides with supernatural rubber treads that grip for all-conditioned traction and sugarcane-based sweet foam midsoles that put a little bounce in each step. Allbirds is constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their earth-friendly materials. So even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, make a splash without worrying about getting your feet wet with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Discover your perfect pair at allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.